My name is Thomas, if we haven't had the opportunity to meet yet, and it's my joy to continue our series through the book of Acts, as we've been journeying through the scriptures, looking at the historical account of where the church began. The church is the largest, most diverse group of people on planet Earth, and we want to know where that come from, how that happened, and we're going to look at the first four chapters of Jesus Christ commissioning his disciples, giving them the, the Holy Spirit as promised from the Father. They've been bold in their witness. We've seen the first uh, message. We've seen the first miracle. We've seen first opposition even. And here we see that the numbers are growing in spite of that. Their joy continues to resound in spite of those things. And it's gone from 3,000 recorded to 5,000 recorded. And now it's just called multitudes. This small group of people that were oppressed is now multitudes of people in this community of believers that are coming together. And today we're going to talk about part of that DNA, the foundational DNA of who the church is. And it's in the very beginning that you, you can't get this wrong. For the future generations to be able to come back to and say, no, that's where it began. That's who we are. That's what we're striving to be. You can't get the foundations wrong. And so today we're going to talk about this idea of generosity and hypocrisy. We're going to look at this idea that the scriptures today are going to teach us that we grow in community and our witness with generosity, but it dies with hypocrisy. Let me ask you this. If you were to ask the world around us to define the church either by its generosity or hypocrisy, what would they say? Hypocrisy, right? Many of the reasons people don't want to go to church, don't attend a church, is because of the people that go to church. They look at the hypocrisy of the church pretending to be something that it's not. They work with members of the church, and they see that they lie at work and pretend to be someone that they're not on Sunday morning. And so this text, in the beginning of the church, that we're going to see the foundation laid. Uh, there's going to be an example, an encouragement of generosity, and a warning to avoid of hypocrisy. And so what I want to do is I just want to read the passage with us, get this vivid picture, this episode in our mind, and then we're going to talk about first the generosity and then the hypocrisy. Are you excited? Yeah! yeah. <laughs> All right. We're going to start in Acts chapter 4. Remember, chapter headings weren't there in the original writing, so sometimes they, they get us all fumbled up on the continuation of the story. So we're going to start at the end of chapter 4 and read into the first 11 verses of chapter 5. And here we'll see the word church used for the very first time of this community of believers. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as he had need. Thus, Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. But a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds 
and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead. And they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. Now that is an episode. <laughs> and you're wondering, what do you do with that? And to be honest, I'm not completely sure. But it does seem like an opportune time to take an offering. <laughs> so if you're helping this morning's offering, would you come down and do this again? Just kidding, we're not going to do that. No, this is foundational DNA of who the church is. This is core of who this group of believers called for the first time the ecclesia of the church. This is the bride of Christ, the body of Christ. Who is this community? And what we have here is a good example, Barnabas being the good example. His means encouragement, so his example is an encouragement for us to follow. And then there's Ananias and Sapphira, a married couple. And this is a warning to be avoided. One is an encouragement of generosity, of who the church should be. The other is a warning of hypocrisy, pretending to be something other than we are. Not being honest about who we are or what we're up to. See, back to our point, that our community will grow and our witness grows with generosity. That's what the disciples are experiencing. But it will die. It will be killed with hypocrisy. And so let's first talk about generosity, and then let's talk about how we address hypocrisy. So in the, in the text, in the very beginning, chapter 4, verse 32, starts talking about this, the radical generosity that's coming in this community. That the Jewish people have been generous. The temple had many provisions for people who are in need. But this community itself is being radically generous, building on the generosity of their faith, now coming to know the radical generation that Christ has given to them. Salvation, newness of life, an inheritance, bringing them into the family. And they can't help but respond. And so in verses 32 and verse 34, they're talking about selling possessions and giving the proceeds at the feet of the apostles, to the leadership of the church, to be dispersed amongst those who are in need in such a way that there wasn't a needy person around them. What we see here is that those who belong to the church moved in their mindset from being the primary owner of their things to stewards of their things. They didn't see themselves as the owners of it, but stewards of it. 
that God had given him all these blessings, homes, lands, whatever, to be used for the sake of the building up of the congregation, the body, and then also for witness. And so this pe these people are moving from the mindset of ownership to stewardship. Now here's the thing. God is not against you owning possessions, but possessions owning you. God is not against you owning possessions, but possessions owning you. Now, that's been said by many pastors who are trying to get you off the hook from the weight of texts like this. So I don't want to do that either. But this primary ish issue in talking about money, talking about generosity, is that we've tied our hearts to our wallets. And so God loves to talk about our wallets so that he can address you in your heart. And his main issue is to see, help you see yourself as a steward of the things that we have and not the owner of it. We don't want to be owned by our things. And in America, man, our identity is wrapped up in the things that we own, the brands that we own, the years of cars that we own, the house that we own, the curb appeal that we've made. It's like wrapped up in who we are. And one aspect of the early church that we want to keep coming back to is their radical sense of generosity, where they've moved themselves away from seeing their life as individual and put themselves in the community. The community's needs are part of their own life that they need to address. And so if they have certain possessions that can be used for the building of the community, they're happy to do that as stewards of their resources. But it's not simply to make sure that the community is like a country club, that everybody's healthy right here, everybody's good right here, and built up here. No, they actually use it for the sake of witness. Between verses 32 and verses 34 about this radical generosity is verse 33. Then verse 33 says, And with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. That the resources given were not only for the care of the community, but for the witness of the community to continue to preach about the resurrection of Christ. The work of Christ on the cross. Dead, buried, three days later, raised to new life, now ascended, sitting at the right hand of the Father. When we talk about life groups or small groups here at Calvary, we talk about biblical communities on mission. That we gather and that we give generously, not just simply for our community, not simply for the huddle, but so that the witness would go out. We're on mission. We're a community on mission to be witnesses to the ends of the earth. And so there's still issues about personal property. We see it in the book of Acts. As we continue to go through Acts, we don't come back to this picture as though this is the clearest picture of some social utopia or communistic commune in which everyone liquidated everything and then came and then we just received back from the, the, the church leaders what we gave them. No, in the, the book of Acts, people still have private property. As we go through the book of Acts, the church is still meeting in fellow followers' homes that they own. And then as you read the epistles, they're written to individuals about how to even be addressed of, of others' property, of greed, of covetousness, of talking to a church in Philippi. Paul has to write to them and say, okay, for those of you who are able-bodied workers but have stopped working and just fed yourselves off the generosity of the church, let me tell you, go back to work, he says. If you're not going to work, you're not going to eat. And so you see this whole thing being polluted. So there's not a correct understanding is the radical generosity that they have, not in the sense of they've liquidated everything they possibly own, but that they move from owners of their possessions to stewards of their possessions. 
Not seeing themselves as individuals, but part of the community. For the sake of the community's needs, as well as its witness to the world. Here at Calvary, we say, we desire to be a church that is internally strong and externally focused. We want to open up the scriptures. We want to be founded on the scripture. We want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. But we don't want to just huddle up in here. We want to know about the community's needs. What about the needs within the family? We want to be externally focused in all of these things. We want the core DNA of who the church is to be the core DNA of Calvary Bible. About 20 years ago, to reaffirm this commitment and our DNA of being a generous church that is on mission with God for the purpose of making disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that Jesus has taught us, to love God and love others, there were a series of what we called kingdom assignments. And they came out of preaching texts of the New Testament where Jesus was talking about the kingdom of heaven. One of those texts that Pastor Tom was preaching on was the kingdom principle of not being owned by your possessions. That where your treasure is, so also is your heart. And so the challenge of this kingdom assignment was to go and sell one of your possessions. Maybe it's in your garage, maybe it was in your attic, maybe it was in your basement, maybe you had a duplicate copy of something, maybe it was something you haven't used in a long time, but to go sell a possession, and then to bring the proceeds, we were going to take an offering, and then all the offering, every dollar of it, was going to go out to bless organizations in the community that were caring for the needs of our community. 200 people said, I will go and do that. And after about 90 days, $85,000 came back in from those 200 people. And $85,000 went out from Calvary to local social agencies caring for the needs of our community. One of those agencies was family to family. And some of the leadership of Calvary went over to family to family to meet with some of their leadership. And after a warm conversation, they gave them, presented them with a check. And they opened up the check, saw the dollar amount, and said, Oh my goodness! <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> and they saw the check written for $20,000. And then they said this, I would never have expected a gift like that from a church like yours. That cuts to your heart, doesn't it? I never would have expected this radical gift of generosity from a church like yours. And so the leadership came back and said, we have to make sure that we don't drift off of our mission. And we're going to stick to our scriptures we're going to teach the Bible. We're not going to move off our convictions. And one of our convictions is to be a generous community to those inside the church and our community at large. And so a series of kingdom assignments came after that to, to stir in our hearts God's heart of generosity. This is where the Erie campus came out of. Was the community in Boulder saying, there needs to be another church, another campus that preaches the gospel, that's spirit-filled, that loves its people and its city. Out in the east part of the county, in Weld County, we want to plant a church in Erie, Colorado. And so 200 plus members generously said, I will go. I'll, I'll, I'll leave relationships that I love and friendships that I love. And I'm going to go and I'm going to set up church every single week. I'm going to set it up in the high school week after week. And I'm going to give financially to the success of this new campus in Erie. And then there are hundreds 
of people on the Boulder campus that gave millions of dollars to a campus they would never attend, to people they would never meet. Why? Because the church is, in its DNA, a, a place of generosity. And the radical generosity of Christ captured the hearts of people at Calvary to remind us that that's who we are, friends. That's who we are. And then what was amazing, not only the community getting this, but how it came down to the individuals and how they lived and how they gave. In 2008, there was a large economic downturn, if you recall. And many people were impacted by it. And a family with great foresight knew that we had a benevolence fund that we would give regularly to help people with rents assistance or bills they couldn't pay or hardships in their life. But she and her husband came and she said, this, this economic downturn is going to be hard for a lot of people. There are a lot of people that are going to lose their jobs and there are going to be people that have reduced wages. And there's going to be bills that need to be paid, mortgages that need to be paid so homes aren't lost. I want to give you this check. It's your check for $35,000. So would you put this in your benevolence fund? So when people come in need, you can help them with their need. And if you need more, just come to me. That's the radical generosity of what happens when Christ transforms a life. And we see who we are in the picture of Jesus Christ, part of the church, and our core foundational DNA of a people who are generous, radically generous. And so here at Calvary, we look at monies very seriously. One of the ways that you can grow generosity is you grow trustworthiness. We don't talk a lot about money here at Calvary, but I just want to spend a minute talking about how we handle money here at Calvary. If you're new, if you've forgotten, just to kind of build your understanding of what Calvary thinks about money. So the eldership sits over as the authority of all the, the monies here at Calvary. And every year, there's a proposed budget which they put in for the congregation. And at an annual meeting, which we'll have in April, the congregation comes to see the proposed budget of where we plan on spending money, how we plan on spending money, and then the congregation approves that budget. In that budget, then there's an annual report from last year in which every dollar received is accounted for and printed in a report so that you can know with confidence that the monies you gave went to the places that we said that they were going. You can see where monies went. You can see how things were accounted for. We, we print this annual report and we freely distribute it to anyone who wants to see. Why do we do that? It's because we know the hypocrisy of the church can be wrapped up in money so quickly. And money can divide a household, it can divide families, it can ruin a church. And we don't want to be accused of hypocrisy or deceit. We want to be honest, we want to be in, with integrity, caring for those things. This is why our financial team invites an outside audit to regularly come to Calvary and open up all the books to make sure that we have faithful accounting practices and we're, the money said they were going are actually going. And it's not someone within the church, it's outside the church to evaluate us. So they can go through anything they want and say, okay, Thomas said he had coffee with this person on this day and they bought two cups of black coffee at Starbucks. Did that happen? Did that $2.15 really go there? Why do we care about $2.15? Because 
is God cares about 2015 cents. We don't want to be accused of any deception or hypocrisy. Our financial team, with great work and leadership, got to a place two years ago, this 2018, in which the ECFA, which is the Evangelical Council of Financial Accountability, the gold standard of financial integrity for nonprofits, accredited Calvary Bible Church, and put their stamp on us. Why would we go through processes like that? Because we know the threat of deception and hypocrisy when it comes to money. And here at Calvary, nobody on staff outside the financial department knows what anyone gives. It's given in confidentiality. I have no idea what anyone in this room gives. So I have no idea. Why? Because if you can tie your relationships up so poorly in, in money, we want nothing to do with it. We just want to grow as a trustworthy place of integrity that gives generously. And so from the outcome of all of these things, relationships with Habitat for Humanity have begun, relationships with international missions, planting worldwide churches, water projects, sending missionaries, supporting missionaries, working with single moms, working with couples, working with students, working with kids, all of those resources go towards the mission and care of the body of believers and those who are here that might have some needs. It's a beautiful picture. And I, I want you to know, at Calvary here, just like here in the New Testament, none of the giving is guilt-driven. None of it is coerced. None of it is like part of your dues. All giving with the Lord is voluntary. All giving with the Lord should be that each person should determine in their own minds how they determine to give unto the Lord. And that's exactly the problem that Ananias and Sapphira find themselves in. And the reason there's such harsh judgment on their deceit and hypocrisy is because there cannot be any room for it in the Christian family. There can't be. And so you see, Ananias and Sapphira, they too want to be seen as generous people. But instead of having hearts of generosity, they have the opposite. They have a heart of greed. Now, here's the question that we're looking at. Is Ananias and Sapphira judged because they didn't give all the resources of their property to the church? No! If that's what you thought, you have to, you have to be corrected in your thought. They're not judged because they didn't give all the money. See, Peter says here, before you sold it, wasn't your property yours? Like, you own it. You had it. It's yours. After you sold it and got the money for it, wasn't all the money yours? You have to determine what you do with the money. No one's demanding you give anything here. What's the problem? But you and your wife determined in your heart to deceive, to appear as generous as giving everything, as others have done. It's true, others have done that. But you wanted to appear as being that kind of generous, knowing that you really weren't. And you withheld some to yourself. This is the problem that has to be weeded out in the early church. There can be no seed of this kind of deception because it will ruin the fellowship of believers. Ben Witherington, New Testament scholar, points it out this way. It says, one act of secrecy and selfishness violates the character of openness and honesty which characterized the earliest community of Jesus' followers. This is what will kill the community of believers is that you no longer can have open and honest conversation. 
Because you know that people in this room are a bunch of hypocrites. Pretending to be something that they're not. Pretending that they have it all together when they don't. Pretend to be more sinless than they are. More put together than they currently are. And this is the accusation that the world has to our witness. I would never be a Christian. Why? There's a bunch of hypocrites. It's not that they're not sinners. They're pretending not to be. They're not like they're not generous. They're pretending to be the most generous people ever. And they're stingy like Ananias and Sapphira here. And so God's right and fitting response to this community is the same right and fitting response that he had in the Old Testament. The same God of the Old Testament is the same God of the New Testament. And here deception and deceit cannot exist within the community. An individual sin is part of the corporate community and the health of the corporate community. Remember Joshua 7? A man named Achan. Achan hid funds that he should not have had. And then he lied about it. Said he never took it. Didn't have possession of it. And the sickness came upon the community. The community was judged because of one individual sin. And the community was restored after the individual, Achan, was rightly dealt with. And actually, he was put to death. Just like Ananias and Sapphira. It's an amazing thing to be called the bride of Christ. What a, what a term of endearment. That God would look at you and say, bride. Bride. I love you. I'm bride. Everything is mine. is yours. We're coming into that kind of fellowship together. You're my bride. But there's also a seriousness of how the purity of the bride is to be addressed. Now some would say, so get rid of all the sinners. There's a problem with that. There'd be no one in the room. <laughs> Me first. And so what does the bride need to do? Is to move and address their hypocrisy by being honest about the sin in their life. So when someone comes to you and says, how is this going? You don't pretend that it's going better than it is. Like Peter asked Ananias in the fire, did you really sell it for this amount? Yes, we did. And they're lying to the community. And here's what Peter says. You didn't lie to us. If you can fool us, you lied to the Holy Spirit. And a cool theological point right here, you lied to God. He equates lying to the Holy Spirit. You're lying to God because the Holy Spirit is part of the triune, three-person God. You lied to God. It's like our offenses aren't primarily against each other. Though we offend each other, their offense is against God. God sees you're the bride, your individual hypocrisy affects the community of believers. You don't need to get out, you need to get honest. And say, this is where I'm really at. I don't want to be a hypocrite but full of deceit here in the bride of Christ. And so, our addressing of hypocrisy comes with two things. Confession and repentance. That's it. There's not very many places that I'd say, come follow me to. But I'd say, follow me here. I would, I would invite you to come in your own sin to one place, which is the foot of the cross. We're going to celebrate communion here in just a little bit. We're not going to end the service with an offering. It's not helpful. You end the service at the Lord's table. That you can deal with your sin and hypocrisy to forgive us and cleanse us, and make us right. So there's one place where we're going to come and confess and say, God, I confess sin in my life. 
And then I repent. I want to turn from it and turn into you that you would forgive me and restore me and make me right. And that happens right here at the communion table. So here, here's our root problem. It's funny, Marcus Aurelius, who was an emperor shortly after this episode, has a quote on the human condition that is so accurate 2,000 years later. This is what Marcus Aurelius said. It never ceases to amaze me. We all love ourselves more than other people, but care more about their opinions than our own. This is the problem with Ananias and Sapphira. This is the problem with me. The reason they held back money from the sale was because they loved themselves most. The reason they lied about it to the church was because they cared about their opinion more than God's. That's the root of hypocrisy. And we want nothing to do with it. Nothing to do with it. And to address hypocrisy is with open and honest confession and repentance. So we don't pretend to be something we're not. I feel this especially as the spotlights seem to point this way in this room. And I can't tell you how often I see a pastor in the news ruin a church. His community and gospel witness in the world. When, when people uncover that they weren't the person who they said they were. When they find out that they financially weren't accountable the way they said they would be. That their marriage and their faithfulness in their marriage isn't as it appeared to be. That their kindness and freedom from addiction isn't actually true. And what happens is it ruins the community and kills the witness. And I want nothing to do with it. Nothing. And you address it at the communion table. And the other aspect is, how do we grow in our generosity? Now, this isn't like a giving campaign. This is how you grow generosity at your church. There's just four things that I see right here in the scriptures, in our text today, of how do we grow in our generosity. So here are four things that I noticed. Is that they saw the mission, they moved from owner to steward, they made a plan to give, and they gave in response to God's generosity. The verse is this. They knew what they were giving towards. They knew the mission. This is what God had commissioned them to do. And for the sake of the mission, they were giving generously to the community of believers and for the witness to speak about the resurrection. You have to give missionally. That your dollars are going towards something that really matters. And may I say here, I think the first place you should give missionally is to your church. That God's plan for the world is through his church, his bride. To be the spokesman, the witnesses to the world. And so I think the scriptures call us to give first and foremost to our church. So where you are built up, encouraged, edified, you give there first. And then give to missions and mercy ministries. But you should give towards missional things. And there's no greater mission than the mission that Jesus Christ has given us. To go make disciples and make the name of Jesus famous. The second thing is, you move from owner to steward. So just like the disciples here... They, they, had every, they saw everything in common. Like, what's mine? If you need it, I want to bless you with it. So I'm a steward of all the resources God gave them to you. God gave them to me. Your ability to generate any resources didn't come off of your own strength or cleverness. God wired you that way, blessed you that way. Those unique opportunities that came to you and not to other people, God flowed those your way. And so I'm not the owner of them. I'm a steward of them. And so I'm asking God, how do you want me to steward these resources that you have flowed my way? Third one is you make a plan to give. Here in the scriptures, they're selling properties and lands. That takes some time. I, mean, yeah, I don't know how to go on the bank. 
You know, today you gotta get an escrow. You know, I don't know. It just takes some time. So you have to create a plan to give. And I would encourage you, as you grow in generosity, to put in your budgets. Whoever you talk to about your budgets, whether it's just your spouse or family members or whoever, as you plan your budgets, that you plan to give. You write it in there and write it in proportion to what God has blessed you with and been generous with. So as your standard of living increases, think about your standard of giving increasing. You plan to give. This is why some of you like get online and you plan to give online regularly. Why? Because I want generosity to grow in me. Last one is this, and actually I should always be the first one. Without this one, generosity doesn't grow. It's just manufactured. Is that it has to be in response to God's generosity. The community is only living this way because they've tasted the generous grace of Christ. There's no reason to live this way. I mean, there's so many threats in the world. Like, how, how should we live if, if you know, coronavirus shows up? If the market's tumble, what do we do? Everything in my flesh says, retreat, private, protect. But here the gospel is, all right, let's be generous now. Let's be radically generous to care for those in need. And that can only flow from those who have tasted the generosity of God. Like Christ saved me and I wasn't worthy. Christ came near me before I even wanted him to, before I recognized him. He brought me into his family. He gives me an inheritance. He brings me into his home, which is an eternal place of life. Wow. How can I not but be generous as he is generous? This is how we grow in our generosity. So remember this, this is the point of this text that I want to give you today. Our community and our witness grows in generosity. It dies in hypocrisy. So I want to address all of our sin right now at the communion table. If you're helping serve communion, would you come forward at this point? This is where we don't pretend to be better than we are before God. We stop pretending to be anything other than where we're at right now. With all of our habits and our struggles, the private things in our life that no one knows about. And we all have them. And so the Lord came to deal with them. And this is the remembrance of what he did. And so would you pray with me? Lord, I pray that your spirit would search us and know us. And if there is any sin, iniquity, wrongdoing in our life, would you draw our attention to it right now? Would you surface it, Lord, that it might be confessed and dealt with with the work of Jesus Christ? Father, save us individually from being deceivers, pretending to be someone we're not. Father, I pray as you hear individual confession and repentance, that you would hear a communal confession and repentance. Or thank you that you call us your bride. Thank you for the intimacy of that title. And now, Lord, may you purify your church here that our community would continue to be healthy and grow. 
And for the sake of our witness to this city and the cities around us and to the world, Lord, would you hear our confessions and our repentance? Or may we not deceive ourselves as though we are sinless. May we be faithful to confess our sins. And would you be faithful to us to forgive us of our sins and be just and forgive us of our sins and to wash us clean by the work of Christ on the cross. Amen.